When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and thanks two elderly gentlemen for a very lively Saturday night. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Roy. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how does uh, an accountant of your calibre celebrate an election result like that did you crack open a spreadsheet or two well i did i've been monitoring all the all the states uh, one by one counting the votes as, as they came in so uh, yeah i did get quite giddy and i was doing standard deviations on it and <laughs> well many deviations on it actually when joe biden won yeah i've, I've i haven't watched cnn for quite some time i've i've never seen so-called bipartisan newscasters so happy about an election result it was quite amusing um and obviously, I was very happy about the election result, but in a childish, immature way, not as happy about as about Palace beating Leeds 4-1. It's, it's questions day, Kieran. I'm sorry to mention football. I know it's a painful subject for you at the moment, Kieran. Um, <laughs> I can just about see the top of your head from how far up the table we are. Uh, and I realise it's probably... A, Something you've heard before. I shouldn't have said that. It's um, it's Questions Day, Kieran. A lot of people have seen the top of your head is what I'm guessing, Kieran. Uh, it's Questions Day, but of course we have some news stories for you. And firstly, Kieran Maguire, congratulations to Marcus Rashford. Yes, uh, Marcus had a conversation with the Prime Minister yesterday and, and the government has uh, agreed to, to support, I think, two of the, the main issues that, that Marcus has been campaigning for. Um and and this isn't a time for party political point scoring anything of that nature i think it's a it's a step in the right direction i think the government's made the right decision and you've got to uh, give a huge amount of kudos to marcus rashford for uh, continuing to uh, fight for what he believes in, yeah, in, in terms of giving kids uh, support uh, and, and giving them food. Uh, yeah, and we've had this discussion on more than one occasion uh, in, in a modern democracy such as the UK for a successful economy. Uh, every, every child is entitled to three square meals a day. And if the government can help, then hats off to them as well. Yeah, and also fair play to Marcus for... As you just said, acknowledging the government's change of mind and thanking them for it, which is a, a good thing to do. I, there are occasions when I almost feel sorry for Boris Johnson because every time he phones somebody like Marcus Rashford, they just put the phone down thinking it's it's, an, it's a joke. It's somebody trying to do a Boris Johnson voice and poor old Boris has to call back again and go, no, it really is me. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Marcus Rashford for that. And he is going to continue his campaign, but uh, for children and parents to know that they will be fed for the next nearly two years is a, a great achievement. And the Premier League's pay-per-view model, Kieran, is looking likely to be ditched during lockdown, although broadcasters are claiming they couldn't do it this weekend because too many people had already subscribed, which may well have been true for Palace Leeds, but can't have been so for Brighton Burnley, surely. Uh, no, uh, I, I would be amazed if many people had had bought into that. 
we, we have seen that some of the uh, viewing figures were in four figures only. So to get, you know, just single thousands, it, it isn't, isn't a great, uh, isn't a great level of support. And that's not, Clearly, neutrals wouldn't have paid for it for any price, I suspect. But even sort of committed Brighton and Burnley fans, I, I, I didn't buy it. I, I, I chose to listen to the radio, um, speaking to you know the people that, that I'm connected with in, in the WhatsApp groups and so on. Nobody was prepared to do it, um, and the, and the consensus was it's it's not the principle. We understand that you shouldn't get something for nothing necessarily, although it's nice, of course. Uh, it, it purely came down to the price. And, and it, is, it, is, it is a ridiculous price for a match taking place at 5.30 on a Friday evening between two clubs in the bottom six, who the last two or three times they've played each other have never had more than one or two goals in the match, and mainly zero. Yeah, I, I think the 5.30 thing is something that's kind of been overlooked in the discussion because it, it's probably as untraditional a time as you can get for for English football fans, isn't it? I mean, we're used to to traipsing around the country for various nighttime kickoffs and occasional early Sunday kickoffs, but five thirty on a Friday evening is a strange time to ask people to pay for money. But this, do you think the, the pay per view is is definitely going to be stopped during lockdown, Kieran? And could they keep? I mean, BT Sport are very bullish about the fact that they couldn't. At cancel games this week and you know give them for nothing because people had subscribed i'm guessing some people will have already subscribed to most of the games that were due to come uh, at 14 pound 95 so they they could use that excuse to not do it at all couldn't they not get rid of it at all they could but remember the the broadcasters and the premier league had only come to an arrangement for the end of this weekend and and we've got oh, yeah. now a nice is a nice natural break, isn't there, in the sense it's an international week, um, although I think a lot of people will be scratching their heads as to why on earth are international friendlies taking place in Europe, um, forcing players to travel uh, the length and breadth of the continent for matches which have absolutely no meaning. So that, that, that does seem bizarre, but when you look into the small print, it's all being driven by the fact that individual football associations don't want to have to give even more rebates to broadcasters and money is at, is behind all of this. So in terms of where we're going to go forward, we're not going to have pay-per-view at 14.95. That's the only one thing I think of which we are absolutely certain. It could come in at a lower price. It could come in um, effectively free if you are a Sky or BT or Amazon or a subscriber, or, or of course you've got a, a TV license and one match might end up on, on BBC. Um, or it could be complete blackout. So you know the the, the alternatives have not yet been decided, um, which, which does seem a bit strange because you would have thought that club chief executives have had plenty of time now to get uh, to get their minds around this. Um, is this because there's no consensus uh, as far as the the twenty club owners are concerned in the uh, Premier League? Yeah, and in, in terms of international football, Kieran, as well, I mean, this is not a story we need to discuss, but it's been announced in the last hour that the England-Iceland game uh, it will probably be cancelled because Iceland are due to play in Denmark uh, three days beforehand. And, of course, no travel is being allowed from Denmark to the UK because the mink is starting to spread COVID now, which is all getting very surreal. But that's a, a, another reason, as you say, why it seems very odd that footballers are dashing across Europe and across the world to play meaningless friendlies and meaningless competitions. But good news for a team here, Kieran, is that Sheffield Wednesday had a real six-pointer this weekend. 
Yes, um, and uh, I think if, if there's not one already, Sheffield Wednesday fans should be um, campaigning for a statue of Nick DeMarco, their lawyer, who has, first of all, he successfully defended the, the executives of the club when they were charged by the EFL much earlier this year. Then when the EFL were looking for a 21-point deduction, he, he got that down to 12 points and delayed for a for at least one season, and now that 12 points has been reduced to six. And this is all connected with the sale of Hillsborough uh, to a company called Sheffield 3 Limited, which is also owned by Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Dejon Chansiri. Um, and, and Mr. Chansiri, if, uh, I, I presume only Wednesday fans would probably have watched this, he, he gave a, a three-hour press conference. I think it was on Thursday morning, and, and you know, fair play to him for facing the press. We had a, a long list of questions, and he was very patient. Um, and he was saying that as far as he was concerned, it was a legitimate uh, transaction. The aim was to uh, generate profits for the club and EFL rules allow that. So you couldn't see what all the fuss was about. Is this the end of it, Kieran? Or would you think they'll try and get the, the other six points taken away as well? Um, They'll be looking to see the, the small print of the verdict uh, in terms of the points reduction to see... Um, what the the final decision was was based on. Um, looking at the press statement from the EFL, they are somewhat uh, somewhat Trumpian like, um, saying, "Well, you know, the, the the principle of getting the sale in the right year or the wrong year was upheld, so therefore we still count this as a victory." Um, so could could they choose to appeal? We don't know. Could Sheffield Wednesday appeal again? Uh, I think it's. You know, unlikely, but unlikely is not the same as impossible. They must be feeling very bullish, uh, and I'm sure all Wednesday fans will be delighted. And it will it'll be a positive from from Gary Monk's point of view as well, because it's effectively they've just had two victories yeah. um, w- without playing football. So yeah, that that will have a positive impact upon the dressing room. Uh, my, my understanding is that uh, again, listening to the the chairman's statement, uh, the owner's statement uh, the other day, that there are uh, clauses uh, in terms of player wages should the club be relegated to League One. So, you know, the players would be absolutely delighted with this. Yeah, and we can't talk about Sheffield Wednesday, Kieran, without talking about Derby County. I, I really, you know, I, I feel I should burst into song. Hello, Derby, my old friend. <laughs> we can't get through a pod without Derby County, but there's some some good news for once for Derby County fans, which will be taking them aback because their potential takeover by an Abu Dhabi consortium has been approved by the EFL. This seems to have come somewhat out of the blue, Kieran. Yes, I mean the the story was first broken by um, by some of the guys in the press just over a week ago. Um, so Derby County are potentially going to be taken over by a company called Derventio Holdings. Um, Derventio Holdings is very much a shell company. It presently has precisely one pound in its bank account and one share, which, which is fairly standard. It, it will get funding to uh, acquire Derby County Football Club or Gellor Law 203 or you know some, some of the, there's about 10 companies have sprung up around Derby County. Uh, in recent times. Um, my understanding of the deal is worth around about £60 million. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that that would include the stadium, although remember the stadium was sold for £80 million uh, in, in 2018 uh, to uh, another company owned by Derby owner Mel Morris. So you know, perhaps he's, he's just selling it at a bit of a discount because 
he's decided he, he's taken the club as far as he can. He's certainly put a lot of money into the company. Um, but we, we don't know the exact details. We don't know the, the uh, a number of Derby County fans have been in contact with me on Twitter saying, what are the implications for financial fair play? Um, this won't give them a, an additional advantage, unfortunately, because it's the football club that's assessed for FFP, now known as profitability and sustainability rules, rather than the owner. Uh, how, how bad the accounts are, we still don't know. And again, this one seems a little bit strange because... You wouldn't go into a £60 million takeover or however big it is unless you think the accounts have been audited. And if the accounts have been audited, then why the hell haven't Derby County published them? Mm. Um, we've, we've seen this week Grimsby Town publish theirs. Norwich City have published theirs. Um, so there's no excuse for Derby not publishing their 2019 accounts if, if other clubs are getting their, their 2020 ones out. Uh, and a final news story before we get on to some very, very good questions this week. Mamadou Sacco has received an apology and a substantial sum of damages from the World Anti-Doping Agency after winning a libel case in the High Court. Yes, um, and I think this is uh, this is an excellent uh, piece of news, for, first of all, for Mr Sacco. Uh, it, it did impact on his ability to play in, in, in Euro 2016. Um, when when there were allegations made by WADA uh, in in relation to uh, medication that he'd had, which at the time, I believe, was on the approved list, although I think it subsequently became uh, disapproved. But if you do something which which is at the time is within the rules, then it's within the rules. Um, So I I believe he was putting in a claim for somewhere in the region of 16 million pounds. Whether he's received the full amount is is, is yet unknown. But I think the the, the important thing is that his name has been cleared. Uh, We are quite puritanical when it when it comes to uh, football uh, in terms of players being clean. It, it's not like uh, American franchise sport. Uh, I, I've just been reading uh, a book about uh, one of the NFL teams in the 80s where it was just uh, it was just cocaine nonstop. It was ridiculous the amount of uh, narcotics that were being consumed within, within, within that particular sport at the time and, and, and the authorities turned a blind eye. But we've always had a fair, taken a fairly harsh approach to uh, inappropriate substance use within football. So uh, yeah, fair play to Mamadou Saku. He's, uh, he's fought his case. He's won and good luck to him. Yeah, I've long been an advocate of having two Olympics, one drug-free and one for taking as many drugs as you want, basically. We we all know where everyone stands. Um, just before we start the questions, Kieran, uh, this is a little lesson. I know we have a lot of people listening to us who want to be accountants when they grow up, which is lovely. Uh, should anybody out there want to be the host of a podcast when they grow up, uh, this is a lesson not to start doing your script halfway through a champagne binge after Palace and Joe Biden have won, because I've written some names down here because I got involved in a WhatsApp conversation last night, Kieran, with other Palace fans, one of whom it started with, wasn't it, isn't it a shame that Eric Young uh, wasn't in the same Palace team as Scott Dan and Jordan Much? Because these are the words I've written down. We could have sung Dan too much, much too young. Um, I just... And obviously, it's I've written it over one of my... No, anyway, never mind. This is a small... <laughs> uh, our first question, Kieran, comes from uh, Temba Dube. Uh, Temba, I apologise if I've mispronounced your name. I'm aware that I'm rapidly turning into the Paul Merson of this podcast. 
Tembera, is there a concept similar to FFP in the women's game in England? Uh, Tembera says, I'm concerned that the bigger clubs like City and Chelsea seem to be hoovering up talent with impunity uh, and have wondered if this growth, in inverted commas, is regulated separately to the men's game. Uh, well, yes, there are financial fair play rules in the women's game. I had a hunt around the FA website and, and various other sources um, yesterday. Um, what we've got in the WSL is what's referred to as a soft cap. And here, uh, no more than 40% of the revenue of a WSL club can go on player wages. Now, that's that's quite low compared to uh, what we've seen historically in places such as League Two and League One, because those were 60% and 50% respectively. Having said that, um, you wouldn't expect the the cap to be exceeded in theory. Um, I've spoken to uh, some of my colleagues who are far more familiar with the WSL than I have, um, and, and they said that uh, the, the average salary in the WSL is £27,000 a year. Ooh. Now, I, I suspect that some of these these stars that have come in from the States will be on substantially more than that. Um, but again, looking at the small print, it looks as if a player can come into the club and perhaps of two roles, so that they can be a player and they could be a uh, a liaison officer, you know, in terms of getting uh, local schools more interested in, in women's football, uh, in doing some of the marketing of the game and so on. And that part of the salary wouldn't count towards the cap. So, so there is a cap. Um, the reason why I think these, these stars within the WSL have come into the clubs, such as Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester City, is because... The, the clubs themselves are very keen to develop the women's side of the game. Uh, I think the players want to be part of that journey as well. Um, and they, the, the clubs um, are uh, having sort of deals which are actually starting to make WSL more lucrative. We, we've seen uh, only in the course of the last couple of weeks that Everton, uh, Everton ladies, they've announced a, uh, a shirt sponsorship deal with a sponsor that is independent of the men's sponsor. So this is a way of generating extra money there as well. Yeah, Nobby Clark is a loyal and long-standing listener who's asked us questions before, um, unless there are several Nobby Clarks, in which case it could be a completely different one. But Nobby's question this week, how were Villa able to spend close to £190 million after gaining promotion to the Premier League on top of exceeding EFL FFP limits in the championship. Right. Well, it, it comes down to your favourite word of football finance, Kevin. And that word is, of course... Amortisation. Amortisation, indeed. So, yes, uh, Aston Villa have, sold, have, have spent uh, a lot of money on football players, but that cost will be spread over the life of their contract. So if, if you sign a player for £40 million on a five-year contract, the actual cost is only £8 million a year as far as the accounts are concerned. When it comes to the cash side of things, what we are seeing is that Aston Villa have two billionaire owners and they are regularly putting in large amounts of cash into the club. £20 million went in earlier this week, in fact. Um, so that gives them the, the cash to deal with the day-to-day -day costs. Also, 
when Villa were in the championship, they, they did sell the stadium for £56.7 million. So therefore, the profits on that will count towards FFP. Uh, part of their training facilities was bought for the HS2 rail project, mm. which is now looking even dafter than perhaps it's ever looked, given that I'm not sure when the next time we'll see a full train uh, in this country. Um and and also Villa, when they were relegated from the Premier League, and I think we've covered this in a couple of shows recently as well, they did something which, re- which is referred to as impairment, where they accelerated the losses into the years in which they were in the Premier League, because in the Premier League, you're allowed to lose £35 million a year compared to £13 million when you're in the Championship. Hmm. Now, producer Guy, Kieran, has been paying some sort of attention this week because this next question bears no relevance to Nobby Clark's question, but it does have the words Aston Villa in it. So producer guy clearly casually flicking through the questions, saw two words he recognised and thought we'll put those together. Uh, It comes from Matthew Grisman. Matthew has a question that he says about merchandise sales. He's heard us talk about the traditional commission model between clubs and kit manufacturers, but is intrigued about the NFL model with a business called Fanatics and how that could work here. And Aston Villa, for example had Fanatics as a middleman rather than working directly to suppliers themselves. Yes, so I've done a bit of digging into Fanatics. And and as Matthew said, they are involved very much in in American franchise sports. Um, And and Fanatics, a couple of years ago, took over a UK company called Kitbag, which used to do a lot of the the online sales. And what, what they're effectively now doing is that they are acting as sort of the, the Amazon of football kits mm. for large clubs. So rather than the clubs having to set up their, their own online stores and their own distribution networks, they, they, they employ fanatics to do this, just like many retailers now use uh, Amazon as, as a means of getting uh, stuff to, to uh, customers. So they do this for Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Villa and so on. And I think their aim is to do that for as many of the large clubs as possible. But they, by, by doing it from a single platform, um, it, it, it works out cheaper for the clubs themselves because they just have to make sure that, that they send you know, copies of their kits to uh, two fanatics who will then distribute them on their behalf clearly fanatics will take a small commission from that but it will work out cheaper than the club having to have its own warehouses its own it systems um and its own inventory monitoring systems hmm. rob green uh, presumably not that one but rob green says there have been several discussions on recent pods about the city group and their family of clubs around the world is it possible for the City Group to buy a second Premier League team to sort of use as a gateway team or a path into Man City's squad? His, his theory being that uh, big clubs would be reluctant to sell their best players to Man City, but might do so to a team that owned by Man City where they can you know, train and get better uh, and then eventually move to Man City. I'm guessing that your answer is going to be no, but I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, it is. It is an intriguing um, under under the rules. One owner um, in English football cannot own more than nine point nine percent of another club. So um, that would that would prevent this. However, we did see uh, intriguingly in the week before Project Big Picture was announced, um, we, we saw Manchester City coming out in favour of B teams. Now, now B teams, as we know, are quite common mm. in Spain. Mm. Um, 
And what happens there is that the the clubs are allowed to compete in the lower leagues, but they would not allow they would not be allowed to be promoted to La Liga because there would be a conflict of interest if Real Madrid were playing effectively Real Madrid B. Mm. Um, so. This is something I think that that City's owners uh, are keen on because at present the the under-23s system isn't quite working. But then when you start to look at the the small print of Project Big Picture, whilst it wasn't saying uh, B-teams was was one of the proposals, um, they were moving slightly towards it because... Um, a, a Premier League club would be allowed to have up to 15 players on loan elsewhere within the within the football pyramid and up to four players at one individual club. So that would make it, remember we had Guy Branston on recently from Leicester and he's the loan manager for Leicester. So that means he's doing a hell of a lot of travelling. Can you see it would cut down on, on if, if you've got four players at five different clubs uh, in the EFL, it's, it's going to cut down on your amount of monitoring, but also those players would start to get even more used to playing alongside um, their colleagues, which would be really good use for the host club. Now, I, I was at a meeting um, earlier this week um, where one of the clubs in the EFL, um, it, it was a bit concerned about this for, for two reasons. First of all, if the if the EFL club sacked the manager, then the Premier League club would have the right to recall all of those four players immediately. So if you you got four players from Chelsea, four players from Arsenal, four players from Manchester City at a particular EFL club, they they've not had a good start for whatever reasons. They sack the manager, then you, you've practically lost. Yeah, you know, you've lost half your squad. So that that would be quite scary um, from from the EFL club's point of view. Perhaps it could be a good thing. Perhaps. Uh, Club owners would have a bit more loyalty towards owners whose average tenure these days is around about 13 months. Mm. Um, the, the other thing that, that I did pick up from Project Big Picture, um, we've spoken about the Elite Player Performance Plan, EPPP. Um, and this is being abolished under the or would have been abolished under Project Big Picture. And this effectively would make it even worse. I mean, EPPP is not good, but the, the alternative would be that uh, if you had players in your academy who turned out to be good um, under the, the proposals from Manchester United and Liverpool, they would simply be able to say, oh, you've got a good youngster. We'll have him. And you get absolutely zero compensation so under those circumstances what's the point in having academies if your best players are automatically going to go to the big clubs and you don't get anything for developing them this episode of the price of football is brought to you by the ai powered workspace notion what if you had access to tomorrow's tools today in notion you do it's the ai powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. 
Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yes. Now, Kieran, I pause here just to say, you know, you mentioned that we had Guy Branston on, who's Leicester's loan manager. And as you say, Guy told us he does a hell of a lot of traveling. You know what Guy wouldn't want to feel when he was traveling? He wouldn't want to feel uncomfortable and itchy. So, Guy, I know you're listening to the pod. You might like this next message from our sponsors. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by our below-the-waist grooming partner, Manscaped. Now, regular listeners will know that I prefer a natural garden, but Kieran has been very busy clearing the weeds from his lawn. Indeed I have, Kevin. Uh, if, If you don't want it to look like Terry Waite's allotment down below, then I thoroughly recommend the Manscaped 3.0 lawnmower. Um... It's got a ceramic, uh, it's got a ceramic head, so to reduce the number of potential nicks, you don't want to get anything cut down there. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's got a very long life battery, lasts as long as uh, potentially is ninety minutes if you want a longer shave. And and one other thing, um, they've now got a weed whacker, and this is a nose and ear trimmer. Uh, it's also available, so you can you can keep your your top of your head uh, as smooth as below the waist. Mm. Well, if you want your nose, ears and sack to be as well-groomed as Kieran's, go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping using the code price of football. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code price of football. And next week's code is bye bye BAFTA. I say it's a message from our sponsors, Kieran. It's a message from us, basically, on behalf of our sponsors. But yeah, I've, 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 I imagine guys already pulled over and put that code in because you know that's the last thing you want when you're driving all over the country, isn't it? Is just to feel a bit uncomfortable down here when Manscaped can sort it out for you. Exactly. Yes, and uh, neat, trim, and smooth can't be beaten. <laughs> um, our next question comes from Mike Gill. Now, Mike touches on the subject we have been talking about quite a lot. Indeed, we have on earlier in this pod. Mike Gill has been watching his team, Harrogate Town, on live streaming for £10 a game, mainly on iFollow. And Mike would like our insight, and it's lovely when people say our insight. They mean your insight, Kieran, but Mike's a polite chap and he he likes to include me. Uh, He'd like our insight on this as a financial model and how much does it compensate clubs for loss of gate revenue and secondary match day spending? It's it's better than nothing. It, it is uh, it, it is a progressive step, I think, from the EFL to to have the matches streamed. Um, the the downsides of this is that my understanding is that at most matches there's only one camera, so you're not necessarily getting a, a, a partic- particularly good product. Um, listening to people complain and monitoring social media. Uh, I think I follow uh, the, the quality has been poor in terms of losing signals, getting no audio, things of that nature. Mm. Um, 
10 pounds is better than nothing. But first of all, you've got to strip out VAT. So you lose that. Um, the, the first, uh, the, the home team keeps their money and then it keeps a proportion of the tickets sold by the away team. This is normally based on the expected number of fans that the away team would bring. So uh, there can be some anomalous issues. Uh, I think we discussed this earlier when Colchester, I think they were hosting Bolton and Bolton ended up with more money than Colchester did from the match despite the fact that they, they weren't actually incurring uh, you know, the cost of, of, of hosting the match themselves. Does it replace gate receipts? The, the answer is no. We, we have to be perfectly honest here. It, but it does, it, it does cover a fraction of them, and, and a fraction is better than zero. Mm. Um, hopefully, uh, there, there will be some progress made, some knockings of heads between the EFL, the Premier League, and government. Uh, I, I think the Premier League has has dilly-dallied far too long with regards to this. Uh, There were simple things they could have done, such as uh, offered to give Fulham's uh, parachute payments, which aren't being paid this year because Fulham were promoted back up to the Premier League. They could have offered that to clubs in in Leagues 1 and 2. What we now have is is hostilities between the three governing bodies in football and, and the government, to a certain extent, is playing them off against each other. Uh, but clubs, clubs in the low, lower two divisions, we're now sort of you know, a third of the way through November. Um, I, I think there's genuine concern that some clubs are going to struggle to pay the November wages. The, the reintroduction of furlough, however, will help. Um, and, and this is a positive step. We will see more and more clubs using furlough, uh, especially for non-playing staff. It's clearly Aston Villa Day, Kieran, because our next question comes from Liam Reynolds. And Liam Reynolds wants to know that if he purchased an Aston Villa shirt with a player's name on the back, does the player get a cut of the profits, i.e. royalties? Uh, the simple answer is this is yes, he would, Liam. Uh, under normal circumstances, when a player signs a contract with a football club, there will the, the, the contracts these days aren't a single sheet of paper. They do go into the the various commitments from the club and the various commitments from the player as well, one of which will be in relation to what's referred to as intellectual property rights. Now, if you are Cristiano Ronaldo, David Beckham, Neymar, Lionel Messi and so on, um, those are worth an awful lot of money because people want to be associated with success. Those clearly are Galactico players in terms of their reputation and status within the game. Um, and therefore, they, they, always, they, they will be entitled to a proportion of, of, of a shirt uh, that we sold with their name on the back. Um, if you are uh, a left back playing for Burton Albion or Morecambe, the, the chances are you might not have that embedded into your contract because just from a practical point of view, there's not going to be that many fans buying shirts with your name on. So uh, it it is something which is very much geared towards the elite. But for a club such as Villa, um, you know, if if certainly if I was Jack Grealish's agent, um, it would have been something I would have been very keen to have uh, embedded into the contract. Yeah. Uh, If you are Burton's left back, I can only apologise. It must be terrible for you listening to this pod of a Monday trying to relax after a hard day's training, only for Kieran to tell you you're not likely to sell many shirts. Uh, our next question, Kieran, comes from Austin, just Austin. Um, I'm guessing Austin didn't include 
a surname for whatever reason, although I do like to think it could come from the entire town of Austin, Texas, who have spent a week saying, I'm not asking, you ask it. Um, Austin says, with the next few seasons set to be the hardest yet in the Football League financially, is now the time to bring in a draft system for free agents to secure survival and sustainability of hungry players and deserving Football League clubs? I think this is a really intriguing question. Hmm. If, if we take a look at the the draft question, so the, the draft system as it operates in uh, US sports franchises, what happens there is that the the college sports, uh, the college sports teams, they effectively put their players up for draft, and then the the clubs uh, bid for them uh, in reverse order. And this is one of the great things. This is one of the, you know, the, the amazing democratic things about US sport. If you finish bottom of the NFL, you get first dibs uh, the following season in, in the draft. And, and that's try to, to ensure that we don't end up with clubs who are completely adrift. You, you, you know, it, it, the U.S. sports organisers don't want something similar to La Liga or the Scottish Premiership or, or the Bundesliga, where you know that the, the, the champions next season are going to be from you know, one of two or three clubs. Yeah. So so that works quite well. That wouldn't work, however, in my opinion, as far as uh, a draft system for English football, because the, the academy players are already at clubs. And if if we're talking about and I think Austin made reference to to clubs, uh, to players who are without uh, without a team, then their agents would have been touting them around and and trying to get in contact with managers and coaches elsewhere. Uh, you know, and that's part of the agent's job to say, my client's free. Um, so I'm not sure of the practicalities. I, th- I think it would be intriguing. I think it would be, it would be uh, potentially, you know, from a Sky Sports point of view, they'd love it. Um, but I'm just trying to work out the logistics, and I just don't think that would quite work. Oh, yeah, imagine how excited Jim White would be on draft day. That would be all dear. Uh, in fairness to our Scottish and Spanish listeners, I think, Kieran, uh, quite a few of them will be saying that in, in years to come, you can increasingly add the, the Premier League to the list of leagues where only one or two clubs are going to win it. Um, James Audley has an interesting question, talking of lists of clubs. See, even subconsciously, Kieran, I'm linking questions together. That's, that's, that's not bad with a champagne hangover. Does Kieran have a list of clubs, says James Audley, that outside the top six, whose facilities, history, stadium, catchment area and recent accounts would make them ideal for a sugar daddy or mummy to buy, make money on and achieve success. I mean, I can think of one in South East London, Kieran. It must be ripe for that sort of takeover. Yeah, but we've we've spoken about Millwall recently, Kevin. So <laughs> let's 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 just forget them for the moment. Um, actually, Palace Palace are on my list. So, um, but I, I think the the, the prime clubs, uh, as far as potential investment is concerned, you you, you want a stadium which is significant in size. Um, so Newcastle United, you know, they they have to be that it's a. It's a one-club city. Uh, they, they do have history and heritage. They they do have this proud tradition of player development. You, you've only, you, know, you think about Alan Shearer, Paul Gascoigne, uh, Bobby Robson being the manager. You know, it, it is a very proud club. So I think uh, they would be ideal. Um, looking at London, uh, looking at you know ticking boxes. Well, 
we've got West Ham playing in the London Stadium. Yeah. So, you know, that's got a capacity of 60,000. It, it has the, the potential, should somebody have the resources to want to take it forwards, um, to genuinely be competing with the, the other large clubs in London. Um, but at present, uh, you know, the, the owners are are putting in some money, but clearly not the not at sugar daddy levels. Um, Sunderland, uh, if, if you're looking for a, a cheaper option in the lower leagues, again, big stadium, big history, uh, I think they would be ideal. So those would be the type of clubs uh, I, I think that sugar daddies would be looking at if, if they want to move into something which has the existing infrastructure, um, as opposed to, you know, I, I understand that the, the plans at Palace is, is to, to, to build a new stand yeah. to take the capacity up from, yeah, was it 24, 25,000, add on seven or 8,000 there. Uh, if, if that was the case, then given that they, to a certain extent, have a monopoly of that catchment area, um, yeah, uh, they, they do have genuine appeal. Yeah. If if James was to ask me this, the club I always come up with is Plymouth Argyle, who one day, surely, will get into the Premier League. And with that huge catchment area they've got down there and an already large, loyal fan base, surely that's, I mean, that's a club that's going to make money for somebody somewhere at some time, isn't it? Yes, in, in terms of being able to buy the club very cheaply um, and you can quickly develop the stadium. And, and t- yes, I, I think it will be an intriguing option. Um, and I've got a, a huge amount of affection for, for Plymouth Argyle because it was a, a Plymouth Argyle fan who came up with the idea of Fans United in, in 1997. I wouldn't have a football club to support without Plymouth Argyle fans being fantastically insightful. Well, I'm glad you said that, Kim, as I've got a huge amount of affection for the uh, city of Plymouth, as it happens, for various reasons, uh, mostly close to your Russian reasons, but there you go. Mark Middling. <laughs> Mark Middling has a great... I like this name, Mark Middling. Now, Mark, Kieran, Mark has read a few academic articles which use the UEFA coefficient as a metric. I wondered exactly what this is and whether it's important to clubs financially now that's mark wondering that not me although i also wonder because i'd never even heard of it to be perfectly honest so what is a a uefa coefficient kieran and uh does it work as a metric Uh, well okay the the uefa coefficient is uh is based on the progress of an individual club over the last five seasons uh in uefa competition so, therefore, if you take a club such as Bayern Munich, what have they done? Well, they won the, the Champions League uh, last season. That will be so many points. Then how did they get on in 2019, 18, and so on? And I think this is sort of – it is weighted towards the most recent season. Um, and the aim here is that if one of the giant clubs within Europe – either doesn't qualify for the Champions League or performs very poorly, they will still receive a fair, you know, a, a decent payout from UEFA itself. So that's how it works on an individual club basis. But also uh, it works on a country basis because at present we, we all know and we just sort of accept that England's going to have four teams in the in the Champions League, as are Spain and uh, Germany and Italy and so on. Uh, other clubs get two. Some clubs only get one. Some clubs have to go through the preliminary rounds and things of this nature. Well, the, the number of clubs that you have going into individual UEFA competitions is determined by the nation's UEFA coefficient. So 
Although if we take, I think Scotland's a prime example, although Rangers fans will be sniggering like hell at present because they've made a very good start to the group stages mm. of the Europa League and Celtic have had a terrible start. Uh, it's actually probably in UA in Rangers longer term interests for, for Celtic to make a bit more progress because Scotland are presently 11th in the UEFA rankings. And I think if my if my calculations are correct, that means that they're going to have two clubs in the preliminary rounds of the, the Champions League next season, as opposed to one. Now that's in the interest of both Celtic and Rangers. So uh, yeah, it's it's a nerd's delight. It's spreadsheet heaven uh, when, when you are doing your calculations. And uh, uh, Mark's Mark's right. Yeah, it 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 is a genuine metric. Oh, good. Uh, that's what was making me the most anxious, Kieran. I wish you'd said that at the start. It would save me a couple of minutes of real nail-biting anxiety. Our penultimate penultimate question comes from Tom McCormick. Thank you for your question, Tom. There's been a lot of talk, says Tom, about clubs taking legal action when they've been relegated as a direct result of points deduction. However, as many players have relegation wage drop clauses, could they have grounds for a class action lawsuit for lost earnings caused by a points deduction which had nothing to do with them? Right. Um, I, I got in contact with our uh, our legal friend Thomas Horton here, who who runs the uh, the, the, the I think he's the football law on Twitter. Uh, and Thomas very kindly gave me an, a proper legal answer as opposed to our pub lawyer answer. He said highly unlikely because there is there is no obligation from the administrators of football towards individual players uh, on a collective basis or on an individual basis. Having said that. Sometimes the clubs need to be practical in issues of this nature. Now, whilst it wasn't a relegation issue, you do recall uh, a few months ago, we we had uh, quite a big story, as as did we had uh, UEFA had a big story when they banned Manchester City for two years. Yeah. from competing in Europe. Now, had that been upheld, remember last season, Manchester City finished second in the Premier League. So under normal circumstances, they would have qualified for the Champions League. If we take a player such as Kevin De Bruyne, now, again, we don't know uh, the exact details of, of a player's uh, uh, remuneration package. And frankly, I don't really care. It's his business with the club. But uh, he is alleged to have a £1.5 million bonus should should Manchester City qualify for the Champions League. Now, if they were kicked out of the Champions League by UEFA, Manchester City could say, well, yeah. Oh, Kevin, sorry, mate. You know, you're one and a half million pounds worse off. From a practical point of view, what is Kevin likely to do in terms of toys and pram if City said that to him? And therefore, the club would say, if they've got any sense, Kevin, this is completely outside of our control. Uh, as far as we're concerned, we finish second. Although we don't, we're not obliged to pay you that money, we are doing it as a goodwill gesture. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm childish, Kieran, but I like that answer because it had the word Kevin in it a lot. That's um, <laughs> uh, the level of intellect I'm working on on this pod at the moment. Um, speaking of administrators, takes us to our last question. And our last question comes from Leslie Ackerley. Uh, hello, Leslie Ackerley. Leslie describes herself as a concerned football fan in her 60s who's listened to our pod for some months and has become increasingly concerned about the difficulties faced by League One and League Two clubs, in particular, the fees charged by administrators and lawyers that you have talked about, which are astronomic and smack of parasites bleeding clubs dry. I like Leslie. 
Why do the EFL, Leslie asked, not work to arrange terms with a firm or firms of administrators who will do the job at a fair price instead of using clubs as cash cows? And that's, I think that's something that Wigan fans would like to answer because, you know, some of the numbers you threw around during Wigan's administration were, you know, nostalgically eyebrow raising. And I think Leslie's got a good point. Why can't the Football League have their own set of people, administrators, that, that, that they send into clubs when they have to? Well, um, if the EFL did did that, then first of all, who is going to be this firm of administrators? Yeah. Presumably, you'd have to go to an existing firm of accountants and say, would you like to be our in-house administration team? Um, the, the firms of accountants will turn around and say, okay, uh, going rates £350 an hour, take it or leave it. Right, right. Um, and... If the EFL say, "Well, we don't want that," they say, "Well, that's fine." But you you end up if, if you end up having to go uh, into into the bargain basement area um, of administrators. Now, the bargain basement, I suspect, will be still two hundred and fifty pounds an hour. Yeah. And and are you necessarily getting a better deal? I'm I'm not so certain. Um, from a legal point of view, administrators are appointed by the company itself. So this is this is UK law. So I, I think. I, there could be legal consequences if a third party, such as the EFL, were to appoint an administrators at Wigan when the EFL aren't in need of protection themselves. Right. Um, from the legal point of view, um, th- there is actually a way of reducing costs because um, instead of going through the traditional courts, there is an agreement now that uh, clubs and the administrators of sport in the UK, they tend to use the services of an organisation called Sports Resolutions. Now, Sports Resolutions, the advantage of using them is, A, they have more expertise as far as settling sports disputes. Um, They can normally quickly assemble a panel, so therefore you can get resolutions uh, uh, sorted uh, quicker than going through the court system, which which can be quite slow, can be quite turgid. Uh, and my understanding, it's it's a wee bit cheaper than having to use a barrister and using the, the, the traditional courts of government. So th- there is a cost saving through using some of the, the vehicles which are uh, available to clubs and to uh, the administrators of football in this country. Leslie, I'm I'm sorry about that. That probably wasn't the answer you wanted. If it's any consolation, welcome to my world. We spend a lot of time before and after recording this pod with me going, well, why can't that happen? And Kieran just kindly and gently explains to me why certain things can't happen. So uh, it's not just you, Leslie, trust me. Uh, That was our last question. If you have questions to ask us about any aspect of football finance at whatever level of the game or whatever part of the world, you need to email us on questions at priceoffootball.com. And as ever, I shall hand you over to Kieran for a short farewell. Oh, thank you, folks. Uh, Stay safe. And and one of the ways you can stay safe is by using a ceramic head on your pubic hair trimmer, such as in the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. Bye-bye. The Price of Football. Bye, son, for the